Welcome to The Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. In today's text, we look at Ezekiel chapter 42, which concludes the measurements of the prophetic temple vision that are given to Ezekiel. Then he led me out into the outer court toward the north, and he brought me to the chambers that were opposite the separate yard and opposite the building on the north. The length of the building whose door faced north was a hundred cubits, and the breadth fifty cubits. Facing the twenty cubits that belonged to the inner court, and facing the pavement that belonged to the outer court, was gallery against gallery in three stories. And before the chambers was a passage inward, ten cubits wide and a hundred cubits long, and their doors were on the north. Now the upper chambers were narrower, for the galleries took more away from them than from the lower and middle chambers of the building. For they were in three stories, and they had no pillars like the pillars of the courts. Thus the upper chambers were set back from the ground more than the lower and the middle ones. And there was a wall outside parallel to the chambers toward the outer court opposite the chambers, fifty cubits long. For the chambers on the outer court were fifty cubits long, while those opposite the nave were a hundred cubits long. Below these chambers was an entrance on the east side as one enters from the outer court. In the thickness of the wall of the court, on the south also, opposite the yard and opposite the building, there were chambers, with a passage in front of them. They were similar to the chambers on the north, of the same length and breadth, with the same exits and arrangements and doors, as were the entrances of the chambers on the south. There was an entrance at the beginning of the passage, the passage before the corresponding wall on the east as one enters them. Then he said to me, The north chambers and the south chambers opposite the yard are the holy chambers, where the priests who approach Yahweh shall eat the most holy offerings. There they shall put the most holy offerings, the grain offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering, for the place is holy. When the priests enter the holy place, they shall not go out of it into the outer court, without laying there the garments in which they minister, for these are holy. They shall put on other garments before they go near to that which is for the people. Now when he had finished measuring the interior of the temple area, he led me out by the gate that faced east, and measured the temple area all around. He measured the east side with the measuring reed, five hundred cubits by the measuring reed all around. He measured the north side, five hundred cubits by the measuring reed all around. He measured the south side, 500 cubits, by the measuring reed. Then he turned to the west side and measured 500 cubits by the measuring reed. He measured it on the four sides. It had a wall around it, 500 cubits long and 500 cubits broad, to make a separation between the holy and the common. This is the word of the Lord. So as a general reminder on this section, chapters 40 to 48, as a quick recap, we are actually talking not about a physical blueprint of a temple that needs to be built. The temple at this time has been torn down and is non-existent. But rather we're talking about Jesus who identifies himself in the New Testament as the temple of God, right? The temple is where God dwells with his people. He dwells with us in Christ. And so what we see here in today's text specifically that we can focus in on a little bit more perhaps there are a couple of the parts of the temple that are mentioned. Um, you've got the chambers, and so there are chambers all around the layout of the temple. If you're looking at your map that you've been using the past couple of days, the Lutheran Study Bible, page 1379, or just searching Temple Compound in Ezekiel on the Internet, um, an image search will return some good results for you. 
you can see lots of chambers scattered around the outer edges of the temple. They have multiple functions. So some of these rooms are going to be used for storage. Storage of the holy things that are to be used in the Lord's house uh, when they're not in use. I mean, you might think of the fact that they have a, a golden lampstand in the temple that has to be, well, the, the oil has to be cared for. The lamps are trimmed in the morning and in the evening, according to the, the description in the Old Testament. So the, the things that they would need to do that work, as just one example, have to be stored somewhere. So we've got the chambers as an option for that. Also, um, living quarters, it appears, perhaps, for some of those who were various people within the Levitical tribes who had roles of service in the temple. And then rooms for possibly meeting, um, other such purposes. Now, some of that you would see a similarity to your church today, right? Um, hopefully, hopefully your pastor doesn't live at the church. But the, the idea of, of rooms that are used for, for meetings or for the study of God's Word, the idea of rooms that are used for storing the things that are, that are holy and, and used for the Lord's house and for worship, I mean, those are, those are common examples here. The other note um, of the text itself, specifically this chapter, would be to look over at 13, verse 13 there, and 14, the, just the idea of holiness. And that's going to come up again in verse 20 as well. What does it mean to be holy? Well, for something to be holy means that it is set apart. So it is not, not as, it's not something you should use for just anything and everything. The priest garments are mentioned here in particular. So when they go in to minister before the Lord, they have to wear specific garments, which are outlined um, in the book of Exodus, for example, as you see the tabernacle description, probably around Exodus 28, 29, in that range. They should not wear the priestly garment into the temple to minister before the Lord and then go back out into the, the common area of the people like go to the market and buy some fish for dinner wearing the same garment. That does not show it as a holy garment. It is not set apart then. And so when they are finished serving the Lord in his house, they take that garment off and they leave it there. And then they change into something else uh, that they may go about their regular outside common business with. And you see this. This is true also of our worship today and how we function in the church today. This is a great spot to talk to your children about worship. What about the way that we do worship as a congregation, as a family together in the Lord's house? What about that is holy? What about it is set apart? And there, there are some ways you can come at that. For example, what, ask your children, what are some things that you see in church on Sunday morning that you don't see when we go other places. Some examples they might bring up would be pews, right? You, you don't just see pews in your house or in schools or anything like that. Why do we have pews? Well, it actually encourages the Christian family to sit together. And then the altar, you don't see those when you go about various places. All right, well, what's the altar for? 
and you can talk about the Old Testament sacrifices and, and how the Lord had commanded those things and they were good for a limited amount of forgiveness for the people, but they're overcome. They're, they're overtaken by the sacrifice of Christ, which forgives all of our sins once and for all, which is architecturally why that cross is hanging above your altar in your, your church's worship space, your nave. The cross that I just mentioned would probably be one that you don't see in most places that you go, right? It is holy, especially a crucifix. You, you don't see those nearly as commonly as you see crosses. How about the candle stands, right? I mean, you don't see those all that often in most of the places that you go. Bibles, hymnals, offering plates... Just kind of go through through that process of, of thinking those things through with your children. And then also the worship itself. How we we worship, does it does it stand apart? Does it is it set apart as holy, as different from what we do in normal day-to-day life? Or have we allowed our worship to become common? That's a that's a challenge that has faced the church for a while now in many in various ways. Our worship should stand out. When the random person off of the street from my community walks into church on Sunday morning, honestly it should be foreign to them. Just like if you were to bring a child here from another country that has never seen our customs and you take them to a baseball game and they have no idea what the sport of baseball is about, you get to teach them. Why do you enjoy this game? What's important about this game? Why, do, why are there rules that have to be followed? Um, what are those rules? What does it look like? How do we play? What are the positions? Who does what? And you talk about all these things, and you have quite a conversation. Honestly, do that with the guests that visit your church when you see them come in the door. Sit by them. Talk to them. Introduce them to the pastor, to the elder who's on duty. Introduce them to the, the order of service. Introduce them to the hymnal and the divine service that you might be using that day. Walk them through it. Show them how to use a hymnal because they probably have never done it before. Be willing to sit beside them and assist them. Befriend them. That's a beautiful thing to do. So there, there's lots that we can talk about here with this picture of holiness. Um, and as, as a pastor, it's a part of my role to try to keep that a, a holy thing, a set-apart thing, that when the people of God gather, they know they're receiving God's gifts. And that is something about worship that you pick up throughout the scriptures. The purpose of worship, according to God's word, is the forgiveness of our sins. I mean, really, when you boil it down, in the Old Testament, then worship was something we did as we brought our sacrifices to God. But in the New Testament, worship is what God does for us because we can't sacrifice. There's not enough that we could possibly overcome our sin, but Christ has done it for us. So we come to worship and we're fed. The Lord provides. And that's a beautiful picture. And so that holiness idea is, is the angle to take this text today with your kids. Again, we are talking about this as being the Lord himself um, throughout this section. 
another connection that you might make here, the dimensions of the, the temple, the fullness of the temple area, not just the temple itself, makes for a, a, a perfect square. There's a parallel to this when we read about the New Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 21, which the measurements of the New Jerusalem not only make a perfect square, they actually make a perfect cube, which is kind of neat to see. And again, that New Jerusalem in Revelation 21 is the church. It is God's people in that paradise that he is preparing for us. <laughs>